You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. Global Business News, 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app, and on your radio, this is a Bloomberg Business Flash. From Bloomberg World Headquarters, I'm Charlie Pellet, a big recovery for stocks today. Stocks spent much of the day trading lower, but right now we've got the S&P 500 index climbing three-tenths of one percent, up six points to 2,077. Equities recovering after a five-day retreat. The pound erased losses after the death of a U.K. lawmaker coincided sided with diminished odds Britain will elect to leave the European Union. Dow Industrials up 102 points, gaining six-tenths of one percent. NASDAQ up eight, a gain of two-tenths of one percent. Ten-year yield, 1.57 percent. Gold down 430 the ounce to 1284, a drop of three-tenths of one percent. We are now looking at a 4.1 percent drop in West Texas. Intermediate crude down almost two dollars a barrel to $46.04. I'm Charlie Pellet. That's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Thank you very much, Charlie Pellet. It's time now for the ETF report. It is brought to you by Vanek Vectors ETFs. Expect more from your munis. Target tax-exempt income by maturity and credit quality, all with low-cost ETFs. Visit vanek.com slash muni. Vanek, access the opportunities. Let's go to Catherine Cowdery and our ETF report. ETF investors are no longer dancing around the Federal Reserve. That's the word from Bloomberg intelligence analyst Eric Belchunas. He says ETF flows indicate investors' focus has changed. Instead of looking to Fed-proof their portfolio, they're looking to stock-proof it. And the evidence comes in a few places. One, we've seen inverse stock ETFs take in $6 billion. That's way more than normal. The ones that go short treasuries, uh, they've taken in, they've actually lost money. So that clearly says people are looking to hedge on stocks, not rising rates. Baltuna says there's also increased interest in so-called low-volatility ETFs, which seek to minimize volatility. A final example, Baltuna cites a bond market, where aggregate bond ETFs have led all bond categories with a combined $15.6 billion in new cash. He says that's an indication that investors are rebalancing their portfolios as they trim their core stock position. That's your Bloomberg ETF report. I'm Catherine Cowdery. This is Taking Stock with Kathleen Hayes and Pim Fox on Bloomberg Radio. Conventional wisdom holds that the stock market would like to hear about an easier Fed, a Fed that's going to go much more slower when it comes to raising interest rates. Our next guest points out, in fact, that when we're in a very low rate environment, a rise in rates could be good for stocks. 
helping the banks with their net interest margins, for example. In fact, the last couple of days, we've seen a pullback in energy shares because Janet Yellen signaled the Fed's going to go very, very slower, even slower than we thought, perhaps, on raising rates. Jonathan Golub is back. He's chief U.S. market strategist for RBC Capital Markets, based right here in New York City. So, John, let's start with this. Were you surprised by Janet Yellen's comments at the press conference? Maybe there's some long-term economic problems that aren't going away. And then at the right out of the gate at 2 o'clock, the, the well, forecast, the dots suggesting, hey, more and more Fed officials only see one rate hike this year. Well, I, I, I think the reality is that we are in a slower economy on a long-term secular basis. So this 3.5% GDP number that we experienced for the 50 years up until the financial crisis is probably not a trend that we're going to see um, going forward. And and it's taken the Fed a while, and you've seen this not only with the Fed, but with the IMF and other forecasters, that it's taken them a while to actually lower that number back towards something closer to a, a trend of 2%, which is reality. And I think the Fed is just uh, reflecting that in uh, in their comments about growth. Um, as far as do I, you know, one meeting versus um, two meetings, if 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 we are at a sub five percent um, employment, you know, unemployment is below five percent, and core CPI, which just came out today, is running at two point two, we are so close to the exact numbers that the Fed is looking for under their mandate that unless there's some real global instability, they, they really are, should be obligated but to John, John, move rates higher. I just have to jump in because you know that the CPI year over year is not there their key measure. It's the PCE, which measures inflation somewhat differently. And that is that is down closer on the headline to one. It's, it's higher on the core, maybe 1.7, 1.8. But the CPI isn't really their main target. Right. So and you can't look at the – so if you look at the, um, the, the the PCE, which is what the Fed looks like, and you said it's, it's in the in the high ones, again, you're so close to a 2% number. There's no such thing as, as economic nirvana. There's no such thing as exactly perfect. But if you're running inflation of even just – with the Fed's measure, just under 2 and unemployment under five, you, you, you just you should have higher uh, rates. And so as we move through the year, if we get through these concerns about Brexit and other things and volatility drifts down a little bit lower, um, I think the Fed is going to really be forced to take uh, to, to continue to gradually raise rates. I don't know why, Jonathan, but that made me think of a nods as good as a wink to a blind bat. In other words, you just have to deal with things as they are. I don't know whether I can test you on popular culture, but remember that scene, some Monty Python sketch in which you're sitting in the prison cell and you get those wavy, blurry lines that take you off into nirvana, and then you realize, no, no, you're not really in nirvana. You're really still in the cell. If you're still in the cell, how can you get out now? What are you recommending to investors to put their money in to investments or assets that will yield more than just, let's say, one and a half to two percent. Right. So the first thing is, is if, if, and this is the way I look at it, when you, when companies right now in the U.S., the S and P is returning to shareholders in dividends plus buybacks. They're returning about 4.7% capital back to shareholders. If you compare that to sub one six, which is what you're getting on a treasury bond or, or whatever you get on a muni, that is an extraordinarily attractive return of capital. It is much more attractive than European stocks. It's more attractive than bonds. And I think it's why 
even in a really low growth environment, stocks are still going to be a, you know, maybe not a, a fantastic place to be, but a better alternative than anything else. And U.S. stocks should be the, the best on a global basis. Okay. So uh, what kind of stocks? How do I invest and make money in a slow growth environment? Right. So there's in, in simple terms, companies that are growth companies should do better in a slow growth environment than traditional value companies. Um, and we're looking for, and, and it's really kind of multiple buckets of growth, but the first is the ones that we hear about, the fangs and the biotechs and, and those companies that have some kind of um, unique brand or intellectual property, those should be the most attractive companies. Interestingly, healthcare, the fundamentals are fantastic. There's, so, there's concerns about the impact of the election cycle on that, so that's holding it down, but fundamentally it looks attractive. There's another category of companies that are not as compelling in their growth, but they're stable and visible that, you know, the kind of companies that you can depend on them. And so companies that are in what I would call business services, those would be companies that haul waste or, or a company like a Cintas that, that, you know, makes uniforms. And those kind of companies, again, not high growth rate companies, but stable growth companies, and they've done extremely well over the last several years. And I think that category will continue to do well. Jonathan, what about investing in energy companies? Is that in the context of the most unloved asset class right now? What is the most unloved asset class? Well, well, there's there's no question the most unloved asset class right now is is the healthcare sector. The, you know these these companies are down substantially, and yet they have the fastest growth rates, the best uh, the best fundamentals, and it's it's all about election related concerns. The energy stocks, while they've uh, well, when, you know, they've, they've, they've been up during in the last few months as we've, you know, as we got over all of those concerns that we had in January and February about are we going into recession when we all realized that we're not. You had a big rally in many of those materials and energy-related companies, and in a, in a strange way, they, they look actually quite expensive. Just a quick comment on bonds in this world where more and more yields are negative and this, this red-hot rally continues with, you know, who knows if the bubble or what's going to happen. Just stay away from bonds. Is there any kind of fixed income that looks good? You know, I, I, the, the only way to make mo- you know, money in bonds right now is for interest rates to just continue to go lower. And what most bond investors, um, people who run bond, you know, Mutual funds and portfolios, they're, they're focusing more on taking credit risk, you know, be investing in corporates, corporates or mortgages or other instruments like that as opposed to treasuries. If you're a global bond investor, I mean, you have a zero interest rate on Swiss government bonds out to, I think, 17 years. Um, Japanese bonds, I think, are a zero interest rate out to 15 years. Uh, German paper is, is hovering right around zero out to 10. It, it's, it's really a, an extraordinary period and very, very uncomfortable for people who depend on, you know, interest rate instruments to uh, to save for retirement. Jonathan, you don't paint a pretty picture, at least in the credit market. Is there anything that you have to offer in terms of gold and commodities? Well, well first, in terms of, of not painting a pretty picture, I think that, that, you know, interest rates are not, alone are not going to provide it. But if you look at in, in the current economic environment, you know, there's, there's very low corporate defaults. If you if you're investing in higher yield, you know, debt or or corporate credit, their 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 loans are performing extremely well. So if you are taking that credit risk, 
you are likely to be well rewarded. So there are places that, that you can go. Gold, I'm never a fan of gold because the one end instrument you know never returns you a dividend is, uh, is a bar of gold. Thank you very much. Uh, Jonathan Golub, always returning uh, with uh, information and insight. Chief U.S. Market Strategist, RBC Capital Markets. We're going to take you through to the close on Wall Street right now. This is Bloomberg Radio. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox President Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF.